Luke 23, verses 44 through 56. I'm reading from the NIV today. Verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be with Pastor Steve as he brings the sermon. We thank you for the opportunity to learn more about you. We thank you for all those who are here. Help us to be blessed by hearing your word. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus died and he was buried. Jesus, Jesus, um, he literally died and he was, and he was actually buried. One of the things that Luke wants us to know for sure is that it happened. It happened. Jesus is his lungs stopped, his heart stopped, his, his brain stopped, his body shut down, he died, and, and he was actually buried. Um, since, since the beginning of his gospel, Luke has been all about eyewitnesses. He said, I want to give you guys an eyewitness account. I want to give you details. I want to give you, I want to name names. I want you to be able to go back, because you can go back and ask Joseph, of Arimathea. This is a guy, you know, so, so we know this is not a legend because Luke is telling us, um, you can go and you can ask Joseph of Arimathea about this. You can ask people who knew him. You can go to Pilate and ask him if you can get that close to him. You can, you can go and ask these women. They were there. They saw it. It happened. A normal crucifixion Victim. Uh, uh, in regular, what would happen normally after someone was crucified, uh, in, in Judah, at least, in Judea, um, they would be buried in a mass grave. Their body would be taken down, and then they would be just, their, their body would be thrown into a grave filled with all kinds of other bodies. It's a, it's a, it's a disturbing idea. I understand that. But Luke wants us to be sure that that's not what happened with Jesus. He wasn't buried in some mass grave where you could lose track of whose corpse was whose, whose bones were whose. 
Jesus was buried alone in Joseph's tomb. Joseph went and asked for the body. Pilate authorized it. Joseph then took him there. The women saw him in there. It happened. Jesus died and he was buried. Luke wants us to be sure of that. Luke wants us to be sure of that because of what Jesus' death accomplishes. It's vital that we understand that Jesus' death and burial is an is a actual historic event. It actually happened because of what it accomplishes. So for our sermon this morning, we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to see what Jesus does in his death for all who believe upon him. Um, like last week, we're not going to think through everything that the Bible has to say about the death of Jesus. I have a book on my shelf called 100 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. This is not going to be a 100-point sermon. And that book doesn't cover all of the reasons why Jesus came to die, right? It's just 100 of the reasons. There's a lot to think about. But what we're going to do is, like we did last week, we're just going to keep our focus on these verses in Luke. And we're going to see what Jesus does in his death for all who believe upon him. Six things. Six things Jesus does in his death for all who believe upon him. Let's work our way through this passage together. First thing, Jesus takes the judgment we deserve. Jesus takes the judgment we deserve. As we start in verse 44 and we see the beginning of verse 45, we read, It was now about the sixth hour, or about noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. So as Jesus was dying, this, this crazy cosmic thing happened. The sky goes dark. Now in the Bible, whenever the sky goes dark, um, for instance, in, in Exodus, when God is judging Egypt, or in Amos, when God is pronouncing judgment on the sins of his own people, Whenever the sky goes completely dark, it is a sign that God is judging sin. That's what was happening at the cross. God was judging sin. Um, maybe you have felt this over the last couple of weeks as we've, been, as we've been looking at these verses in Luke. Have you felt that this is beyond us? When you get to this, when you're reading through the Bible and you get to the end of the Gospels where, where Jesus is crucified and, and where he dies, doesn't it feel like it's beyond us? Like we can't, we can't quite fathom this. In fact, it's, it's a little bit difficult for us to even know how to talk about it well. We just feel like we don't have good enough words. Uh, trust me, I know exactly how you feel. The, we, and, that, and that's because as humans, even, even, the, the, even those of us who are the best at words, some of us are really good with words. We've got a huge vocabulary and just, we're just always talking. And, 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 and so even if we have great vocabularies and we've read hundreds of books, we still don't have good enough words. Our, our human minds cannot comprehend what Jesus endured on the cross. 
We cannot do it. And, and the other thing is, even if our minds could get there, our hearts wouldn't be able to bear it. If, if, we, if, we, if we could understand how wonderful and righteous Jesus truly is, and how much he actually suffered for us, it would be too much for us. We wouldn't actually be able to bear up under it. It's too much for us. And so God does things like this to, to help us to get a little bit closer to understanding what it was Jesus went through on the cross. He covers the world in darkness. He, it's, 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 like, it's like nature itself is grieving. Nature itself is saying, this is too much. This is, this is too much. This is judgment beyond what we can fathom. And as we sit humbly before this passage this morning, we have to admit together that this is judgment that we deserve. You and I deserve hell. We deserve the great darkness, the great judgment of hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. And, and, and when this happens, when the, when the sky goes dark here in Luke 23, it's God getting us closer to understanding what it is we deserve and what it is Jesus has taken for us. The first thing Jesus does in His death for all who believe, Jesus takes the judgment we deserve. Number two, Jesus brings us to God. The end of verse 45 says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Here we have another sign from God helping us to understand what's happening on the cross. The curtain is torn in two. This is something only God could do. The curtain was, was huge and it was heavy. No human could rip this curtain. It's the curtain between um, that, that, that holds the, the people back from, from the holy presence of God. It's the curtain in the temple that keeps us out. It's the great barrier between God and man. It's the, the, the sinful humans cannot go past that curtain. God's holy presence is not safe for us. And this, this started, of course, in the garden, right? When, when humanity sinned in the garden, they were kicked out of the holy presence of God. God, it was no longer safe for us to be in the holy presence of God because of our sin. Jesus, in His death, brings us in. This is what Jesus does for all who believe upon Him. Not only do we escape the, 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 the great dark judgment that we deserve for our sin, but even more than that, we are brought to God. We will be with God forever. We will be with God 
forever. Um, one of the final things I try to do each week, um, after I've written my sermon, and after I've just said, okay, that's it. I mean, the, the sermon is written. It's, it is what it is. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to preach it. Because um, you never, I, and you know, this is how it is with a lot of things in life. You're just never quite, you never feel like you're quite done. You want to keep working on something. You want to keep tinkering with it. Um, but you have deadlines. And so, 10.30 is coming. I have to stop typing. I have to stop writing notes. So one of the last things I like to do um, is I like to ask myself, do I believe this? Do I care? Or am I... Am I, am I playing a part up here? Am I acting up here? Preachers can phone it in, right? I'm, I am reasonably intelligent. I'm not brilliant, but I'm, I'm smart enough, right? At least that's what my mom told me. <laughs> I know how to stand up here and say Christian stuff. I... Um, I can talk. I can talk with the best of them. So a great danger for me is just to stand up here and say stuff that I know will kind of tug at you emotionally. It'll stir you up. It'll make you feel good about stuff. um, But not actually care about it myself. So I asked myself this morning, and it was an incredibly convicting self-talk, I asked myself this morning, do I care about spending eternity with God. Do I care about that? Am I mostly looking forward to heaven because it's going to mean no more, no more sadness for me, no more shame for me, no more guilt for me, no more doubt, no more sin, no more fatigue, no more anxiety, no more fear. I get to see people that I've that have gone on before us. Am I mostly excited about heaven because of that kind of stuff? Or am I excited about heaven for the reason, for the primary reason the Bible wants me to be excited about it? Because I get to dwell forever with God. My heart wants to worship. Your heart wants to worship. We love good music. We love good movies. We love intelligent conversation. We love it when someone says something to us that is just incredibly enlightening and helpful and they're just so good. We just, we, we, we love, we, we love good stuff. We love the good, the true, the beautiful. We love it. We love to worship what is worthy. Are we looking for that ultimately in God? In his death, Jesus brings us to the one. He brings us to the one who is good and true and beautiful. He brings us to the one 
who is truly worthy of our worship. He, he brings us to the one that we, can, that we can worship, that we can celebrate, that we can be excited about, that we can enjoy forever and not get bored. We're going to be in heaven for 10,000 years singing his praise, and it's like we just got started. There is something incomprehensible about how good and true and beautiful God is. How worthy of his worship, of, of, of our worship he is. On the cross, Jesus brought us to God. I want to care about that. Pray for me that I will care about that more. And I will pray for you. Number three, Jesus teaches us how to trust. So he takes our judgment and he, he brings us to God and then he teaches us how to trust. Verse 46, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So the Bible teaches us that Jesus alone makes belief possible. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. So he makes, he makes trust possible. And then he also, he, he alone gives us something worth believing. He alone takes our judgment and opens up the way to God. And so, so Jesus makes belief possible and then he gives us something worth believing and then he shows us how to believe, how to trust. He commits himself to his Father. I've said it a few times, I was talking about it again this morning in Sunday school. If you're in my Sunday school class this morning, and then you hear me talking about it now, you're going to think I'm a super morbid person. But pastoral ministry is, is about your funeral. I'm always thinking about your guys' funerals. I've said this before, I just like to say it because I know you love to hear it. It's not, I, 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 I love it when, you know, someone makes a profession of faith and they get baptized. I love that. But what's, what's way better is when you die. It's when you die. It's, it's when you die and we look back and we say, that person followed Jesus their whole life. Look at the fruit from their life. And of course we're sad. Of course we miss you. But we know where you are right now. Because he saw God's grace in your life. We saw, we saw how you believed the gospel. And so there's just no doubt in our hearts, we're going to see you again someday. Because, because we've all seen people make professions of faith and get baptized and then they're, they're out, right? They, they fall away. They want nothing to do with the gospel. They prove that they never really believed, right? That happens all the time. We've all seen that. It's so frustrating. It's so heartbreaking. So what I can't wait for is you to die. And I can say at your funeral, well, I'm not going to say it because you all are going to outlive me. Don't worry about that. Somebody can say at your funeral, they finished well. At the end, they said, they said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
Even at death's door, they were saying, God, I trust you with what happens next. They believed in the power of the resurrection. They believed in the truth of the gospel. It took them all the way up to the end. That's what we want, isn't it? For each other and for ourselves and for our children and our grandchildren and our parents and our spouses. This is what we want for each other. This is what we want for ourselves. Jesus shows us. He's so confident in the in the provision of His Father, that at the very end, He's saying, I commit My Spirit to you. I trust you with what happens next. So that's the way we want to live our lives, right? Our day by day, you know, and I talk about you guys as if you're going to die. You guys have got years left. Decades. Decades and decades. However long God gives us, We're living our lives day by day saying, God, I trust you with what comes next. I trust you with what comes next. You are good and you are gracious and you are wise. I will obey you. I will believe you no matter what comes next. In his death, Jesus shows us how to trust. Number four, Jesus puts all other injustice in perspective. So the fourth thing Jesus does in his death for all who believe is he puts all other injustice in perspective. Verses 47 through 49. Now, when the centurion saw that this had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. The, I think Dallas read from the NIV, and, and, and he said, This man is righteous. This man is righteous. He is innocent. If you, if you read the other, if you read the other gospels, they'll, they'll mention that the centurion also said that this was the Son of God. But Luke is not highlighting that. Luke is not highlighting that the centurion saw that, that Jesus was the Son of God. Luke is highlighting something he's already highlighted a few times before with other people, that Jesus was innocent. He was righteous. He did not deserve what he was getting. He was dying like a criminal. He didn't deserve it. This is complete injustice. This is so good for us. To remember, because because you you know have 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 you ever been treated unfairly? Have you ever been lied about? Have you ever been punished for things you didn't do? If you're one of my children, it happens all the time. I guess I don't know. I'm all I don't deserve that. Of course you don't. Go to your room. I'm sure you did something. I don't know what it was. But I'm sure that even if you didn't do this thing I'm punishing for, you did something, so you deserve it. Go to your room. We have suffered injustice, though. We've been treated unfairly. We, we, get, we get blamed. We get punished. We get mistreated by people. We get, we get lied about. We don't deserve it. Wonderful thing, one of, the, one of the many wonderful things we see on the cross is that Jesus was actually righteous. He was actually innocent. And because Jesus died for us, because He was blamed and punished for the sins we deserve, 
we're never going to get blamed and punished like we deserve. So when you are frustrated with the way you're being treated, when you're being marginalized or mistreated or punished and you don't deserve it, I encourage you to compare what you've suffered against what you've escaped. You deserve hell and you've escaped it. Because the only righteous person ever died for you. He suffered injustice in ways that we cannot comprehend so that all of the injustices that we suffer will one day be completely forgotten. This world is not fair, and you've felt that before, and you are going to feel it again. When when we go through that, let's remember... Jesus suffered injustice in ways we can never comprehend. And He did this so that one day all of the smaller injustices that we suffer will be completely forgotten. He puts them in perspective. That's the fourth thing Jesus does in His death for those who believe upon Him. The fifth thing Jesus inspires courageous faith. Verses 50 through 52. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, uh, like the Sanhedrin. He was one of the bad guys. But he was a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, we learn from the other Gospels that that Joseph was a follower of Jesus, only he was a secret one. (laughs) He was a secret follower of Jesus. That's a good description of us sometimes, too. You love Jesus? Yeah, but just don't tell anybody, please. It could be bad. It could be bad for me if it kind of gets out that I'm a... I love Jesus. So, let's just keep that between us. All right? And that's how Joseph was. And I think we can understand why he was that right way, right? He was a member of the council. Now it says he did not consent to their decision and action. I don't know if that means that when they were voting, he just abstained. Um, or he kind of said, i got to go use the restroom or something while they were voting on it. I don't know what happened. But he didn't consent. He didn't think this was the right thing. The Sanhedrin, they were, they were part of the group that were, that were leading the charge to get Jesus arrested and condemned and crucified. And Joseph, at least in his mind, in his heart, didn't agree. But it was a secret following of Jesus. A secret commitment to Jesus. Until Jesus dies. And something about the death of Jesus... Stirred Joseph up. And so we don't know what happens to him after this. We don't, we, the, we don't, we don't know. We don't know what happens to, we don't know what happens to Joseph after the resurrection. We don't know. We don't, we don't know what happened. But we do know that here he is risking everything in order to, um, in order to identify with Jesus this way. By going to Pilate 
and, and getting the body of Jesus and then having it buried in his tomb and honoring Jesus this way is incredibly risky. This is incredibly dangerous. And we don't know what Joseph lost because of this. But we do know that he risked everything in order to follow Jesus, in order to honor Jesus, in order to identify with Jesus. Sometimes we get afraid, right? Sometimes we're afraid of of following Jesus. We're, maybe it's a, a, for example, maybe we're afraid of having a, a gospel conversation with that person in our life. We're not commanded to love everyone's neighbor, but we are commanded to love our own neighbor. So we have people that we work with, we, we have people that we go to school with, we see them often in different community events, um, or in our neighborhood, or at different shops we go to. We, we see these same people, we know them, and we know they don't believe the gospel And it's so difficult to just invite them to church or to see if they want to read the Bible with us or to see if they could somehow get into a a conversation about Jesus with them. Sometimes we're more willing to go to some distant country and help build buildings or pass out clean water than we are to start a meaningful conversation with the folks right here in our lives right now, the people whose names we know right now. We struggle with fear. When we do, we should look to the death of Jesus. No one took Jesus' life. He gave it up for us. He died for us. This, this inspires us to courageous faith. That's the fifth thing Jesus does in His death. He inspires us to courageous faith. If you are feeling afraid, look again to what Jesus did for you on the cross. And then number six, last Jesus helps us long for the resurrection. Jesus helps us long for the resurrection. Verse 53, Then Joseph took the body down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed him, followed and saw the tomb and saw his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Jesus is dead. They're, they're working with his body now. They're working with his body. Jesus is now a corpse. We have to bury dead bodies. We have to bury dead bodies because because it is unsafe and unhealthy to keep the body around. We we want to honor the person who has died, but but it would not be honoring to them to, to just keep them out where people can see them. We know, we we know that that's not sanitary. We know it's not healthy. And we know it wouldn't actually honor them. So so the only decent thing to do is to bury them. But when we bury them, we hide them away. And, And here's what happens, and we're all afraid of this, whether we put words to it or not. We're afraid of it for people we we know and love, and we're also afraid of it for ourselves. When the body is hidden away, almost everybody that ever knew that person begins to forget them. 
There's going to be a few people very close to that person who will remember them as long as they live. But for the most part, as soon as we die, we begin to leave people's consciousness. People stop thinking about us. Ecclesiastes is abundantly clear. People live, people die, people are largely forgotten. Nobody in here, when you flip on a, 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 a light, says, man, I'm really thankful for Nicholas Tesla back in the 1800s for the work he did with electricity. Just honor that man. We wouldn't be able to flip this light on without him. Do we think that? No. Has he fundamentally changed our lives? Yeah. Do we care about him? Not so much. I'm not even sure his first name was Nicholas, actually, because I didn't put it in my notes. Could have been something else. Could have been Fred. I don't feel like it, but it might have been. Nicholas seems closer. These women saw Jesus' dead body in Joseph's tomb, and they just did what you do for someone you love, someone you want to honor. They get ready to give him an honorable burial. What else can you do? There's nothing else to do with a dead body. You want to keep his memory alive in whatever feeble ways you can. But you cannot keep his body around. You have to bury it. It's time to prepare for burial. It's time to say goodbye. These women now have to deal with the fact that their grandchildren are going to know next to nothing about the most important man in their lives. The person that they love the most, their grandchildren are going to know nothing about because we have to put him away. My daughter Haddon is four years old. Which means I was old when she was born. I was 38. If she has grandchildren at age 50, I will be 88. I don't know who I'm kidding. I will be dead. But if I'm not dead, if, uh, if my lifetime of Dunkin' Donut, medium iced coffee, caramel and cream and sugar has not done what it should do, which is terminate me, I will be 88. I'm not going to spend a lot of quality time with Haddon's grandchildren. They are going to grow up and get married and not know anything about me. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get funding around for a documentary on my life that they can watch every year. I'm having a hard time raising money for that so they can stay fresh on my legacy. <laughs> but we die, we are buried, and we are largely forgotten. We can thank our sin for that. So these women think that this is the way it has to be with Jesus. He has entered into the forgottenness of our grave. Well, the thing is, 
Jesus has been given a promise by His Father. Later on, Peter is going to say that Psalm 16.10 was actually about Jesus. It was ultimately about Jesus, I should say. Ultimately about Jesus. There's a promise There's a promise God makes to the Messiah, to the Christ, to the Anointed One in Psalm 16.10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. We know that that promise couldn't have been only to David because, or even ultimately to David because David saw corruption. David, David's corpse did what corpses do. But Jesus' corpse did not do what corpses do. God the Father would not and did not allow His Son to see corruption. Jesus' body did not decay. He was not left to, to rot and be forgotten. We're going to celebrate this together next week. He was not left to rot and be forgotten. We don't want to die. We don't want our time with our loved ones to be over. We don't want our bodies to to rot and be forgotten. The, The death of Jesus does something for us. It doesn't help us pretend that we don't want that. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. The death of Jesus does something better than distract us. The death of Jesus helps us long for resurrection. We should hate the idea of dying. Death should be repulsive to us because because death is here because of sin. We should long for the resurrection. And as we'll see in next week's glorious verses, because Jesus was raised, spoiler alert, because Jesus was raised, we can be sure that all who have believed in Him will be raised too. We will not rot and be forgotten. I don't need to worry about my legacy. I I know people in my life that I would love to somehow give credit to. I would love for I would love for um, future generations to know what I know about the people that God has used in my life. But I also know that future generations aren't going to know. And that's fine. Because those who have believed the Gospel in generations past, and those who believe the gospel in generations future, we are all contemporaries because of the resurrection.
we will not rot and be forgotten. Because Jesus has taken our judgment. Jesus has brought us to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the, all that you have given us in the death of, of your Son, in the burial of your Son, and in the resurrection of your Son. We look forward to celebrating the resurrection next week together. We look forward to remembering the cross together on Friday. Help us, God. Please help me. Help all of us. To to ultimately be filled with, with thankfulness for the cross. Because Jesus, in all of His strength and all of His kindness, has done what only He could do. He has taken the judgment that we deserve and He has brought us to You. Help us to be increasingly thankful for that, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.